So I have something that I think we need to address. Okay. Bats. Oh, the bats in our lives. The bats in our lives. Why do we have bats in our lives? Why do we have bat stories? Right, so my bat story is like a month ago, I was driving home at night from Thomasville to Tallahassee when a bat flew into my windshield and got stuck there. And I had to pull over and remove it from my windshield, um, which was terrible, like really traumatizing. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I never wanted this for you. Also, you're not driving back late from No, it was like 6 p.m. It's just dark. (laughs) Yeah, which makes it even weirder. I feel like bats belong at midnight. Right. So I was trying to look up on the internet, like, what kind of bat was this? And I thought it might have been an evening bat. Okay. Which are bats that come out, as the name suggests, in the evening okay. rather than late at night. <laughs> um, but I don't know because, you know, I didn't get a great look at it. I was trying not to look you at it. You didn't examine it? No, there were, there were bits. But then oh. the, the story continues because last week as I was driving home, the same thing happened. Except this time it, you know, didn't stick. Mm. <laughs> um, Which, I, I yelled. Which happened twice in two months, or a month. And like, not even, like two yeah, weeks. two weeks. Twice in two weeks. <laughs> and it hasn't happened. You've been driving back and forth from Thomasville for over a year. Yeah. Like, I've done this, like, more than a hundred times. Yeah. It's, that's odd. I don't like it. I feel like it probably means something. I think so, too, and that's what scares me. But you're also talking to somebody who finds meaning out of nothing. Right. I mean, and same. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's... that's not the bats in our lives. Yeah, gross. Gross. Welcome to episode 99 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Chris Jensen, and it doesn't feel like Christmas yet. That's because it's 78 degrees. It's, it's cold oh. today. <laughs> I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Happy almost Christmas. Listeners, we are both kind of (laughs) ill. This is what happens when you work retail. Um, Especially in the holiday season. During the holidays. When you interact with hundreds. You're exchanging cash (laughs) with all kinds of people. Children are blowing their snot on you during story time. You're cleaning bathrooms. It's just... So we're really... I think I'm on the up and up, finally. I am. I feel mostly recovered. Um, yeah. Just a little leaky. <laughs> so we are like, every year I feel like I am limping toward Christmas. Like I <laughs> I can just see the finish line up ahead. Slouching toward Bethlehem, as it were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally <laughs> accurate. So we thought we would do one episode at the end of this year, kind of talking about my favorite books of 2016. Mm-hmm. Everybody's put their best of lists out, some of which I understand and agree with some of which I am left scratching my head. I, I don't understand um, some of the New York Times choices this year. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. So we thought we would put out our own best of 2016 list. I try to do this every year. I write an article for the Thomasville Townie, our local little biweekly newspaper. Um, and, yeah, thought we would discuss those like we would a reading recap. Yeah. Yeah. This is 2016 reading recap. Yeah, that's right. Um, so let's start with okay. what I was, I, I think, your favorite book of the year. Uh, maybe not, so, uh, but you, up there, The Mothers. Yeah, The Mothers. So you've heard me talk about this on the podcast for months because I read it 
several weeks, months before it actually came out. And I know I've had podcast listeners like send me emails saying, Hey, um, this book isn't out. Please stop talking about it until <laughs> I can actually purchase it. Um, but now the mothers has been out for a couple months. I think it was briefly on the New York times bestseller for list. Two weeks. Um, it's a debut novel by Britt Bennett, who is like 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I loved the mothers. It's about basically, um, it's a coming of age story about a high school student who makes what she thinks is a pretty massive mistake and kind of the fallout from that mistake. But what I love most is that it really is a book about, um, black church culture. Uh Uh, the mothers comes from, um, the African American church mothers, um, that kind of helped raise this particular girl. Anyway, I loved getting a glimpse into that culture and that world, which is also pretty universal if you do church. I mean, a lot of different cultures do church differently, but I loved the similarities between this church culture and my own. Um, and I also, there were just some really beautifully written passages and one-liners um, about growing up and about making mistakes and about uh, faith. And so anyway, I rarely feel like I find a book, we've talked before about television shows that to me address faith fairly. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people, faith is an important part of their lives. And I feel like we'd either diminish that or kind of tease that, tease about that, or maybe make fun of people who take it too seriously. So I like reading books and watching television shows that to me address faith fairly and what it looks like for a lot of people. Yeah. So that's what I liked about The Mother's. Add to that that it's beautifully written, um, that Britt Bennett is 26 years old, and I just felt like I was reading a work of genius, which right. is like, it, to me, it was my Kitchens of the Great Midwest of last year. Gotcha. So which I, I think was another debut novel. It was. And it kind of, it was one of those books that I had no expectation going in, mm-hmm. and that's how I felt about The Mothers, and then it kind of just blew me away. So you've heard me talk about it many, many times, but if you haven't, um, if you haven't picked it up yet, I would encourage you to read it. And I'm pleased to say that now, not only did it make the bestseller list for a couple of weeks, but I've actually started to get feedback from customers and friends who've read it, and they've said it was worth my praise and worth oh, the hype. Oh, that's so good. Which is so good, because sometimes, I've, we've talked before about when you're reading galleys, when you're reading ARCs, you're reading in a vacuum. In a weird vacuum, yeah. And I just wasn't sure it was going to be one that other people liked as much as I liked it. But anyway, The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Fantastic. The second one? The second book. So this, and I should clarify, (laughs) like this is not in any particular order because this is some fiction, some nonfiction. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of as they came to me. And I did kind of then at some point go back and just look at all the books I'd read throughout the year, um, which I meant to do a number, um, but I don't don't know how many books I read this year. Um, But the second one I think that I mentioned is The Underground Railroad. That's right, by by Colson Colson Whitehead. Whitehead. Uh, National Book Award winner. So I feel like that should say enough Oprah book club choice, but I know that I have had customers who were hesitant to pick this one up. Um, I had very specifically a customer who, um, was a history, is a history buff, was a history major and just really did not want to read underground railroad. Um, didn't like the idea of the underground railroad being imagined or fictionalized. I guess she felt like there was so much substance in the actual underground railroad. Like why fictionalize it? Which is an interesting question. Which like I, I heard a lot of criticism about underground airlines, which came out a few months beforehand, which was kind of in the same vein. Like why fictionalize this? Why modernize this? This is not a story that needs to be told in a different context. Right. Um, but then this came out. Yeah. And I guess that's a question that I, 
might be worth addressing sometime on the podcast or in maybe your conversations with your book clubs and with your friends because I think that's a really interesting question and I'm not I think I disagree like isn't that the whole point of fiction right and like that's the whole point is to kind of reshape things so that we can we can talk about these either historical things or these cultural things things that we wouldn't normally be able to talk about, but if we put them in a fictional setting, it maybe is a little easier for us to have conversations. Underground Railroad is, an um, from the imagination, the beautiful imagination of Colson Whitehead, where the Underground Railroad is literal, not figurative. Right. And I will admit that while reading it, because it is so well done, like there were times when I thought, wait a minute, was I right was, about the Underground Railroad? Was there a railroad? <laughs> yeah. Like I, <laughs> he did it so well. Like it felt so real that I really did at some points like start to scratch my head. And only when like I went back and started to do some, you know, outside research, I was like, okay, no, no, I was right. This is just fiction. Um, but so I can see, and I've had customers come back like a little confused because it just feels so realistic and so real. He clearly did his research going into the book. Um, it also like it starts on a plantation in Georgia, mm-hmm. and so the 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 setting of the novel, like as it moves through the South and goes north the different settings are so, so vivid that I just, it's not just this imagining of the Underground Railroad that I found to be remarkable. It's the setting and the history that he really brings to life. And I I feel like if you haven't read this, please try it. And I've had customers who just, I think either turn their nose up at Oprah or they're history buffs. And so they don't want to read this kind of quote unquote fake history. Uh Um, but it's so good, and 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 now that it's won the National Book Award, now you have to read it. You right? have to. Like, I mean, you were culturally rule. required. <laughs> it's the law. I watched the drunk history about Harriet Tubman again last night, and I had kind of the same thought: like, is this really how things happened? And I, I should research that. I don't know, but I really want that story to be true too. That's what I love, though, about really great art. I feel like inspires us to then go off on our own treasure hunts. Absolutely. And I know I've we have. <clears throat> One customer and friend, Suzanne, does that all the time. Like, she'll tell me she's read this book, and if she really loves it, she'll go off on, you know, this hunt, either with author interviews or the history of the actual events or whatever. And I love that about good literature, good television. Um, The Underground Railroad was one of my favorite books of the year. I remember I was reading it as my parents drove me to Atlanta for market, I think. (laughs) And I was in the, I just remember being in the backseat of their car, which is a weird place to be when you're 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, I was in the backseat of my parents' car reading and like trying so hard not to tear up, even though mm. it wouldn't be the first time that I had cried in front of my parents over a book. Um, but it just is so powerful, especially as the story closes. Um, so read it kind of with a box of Kleenex if you're traveling this holiday season. Read it on an airplane, but be aware <laughs> that you are going to be emotional, I think, while reading this one. Um, so, yeah, The Underground Railroad, one of my favorite fictions books of the year by far. Excellent. Okay, third up is 40 Rooms. Ah, uh, 40 Rooms. This one felt like it was one of those books I would have forgotten about if I hadn't written down that I read it. Right, um, because it was so long gosh, ago. I think I read it in January or February. Um, but the premise of this book is what really kind of 
captured my attention, this idea that every woman in her lifetime inhabits 40 rooms, whether it's the kitchen where she burns her first dinner or the bathroom where she breaks up with her boyfriend, her childhood bedroom, the dorm room where she discovers what she wants to do for a living, like all of these different rooms. And this novel written by Olga Greshen, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, Mm -hmm. Um, but she kind of the story almost, or the book almost reads like short stories because each chapter is a room in the main character's life. Um, only at the end of the novel did it hit me that the main character never had a name. And um. I kind of loved that both because it made me better envision myself in the story. Um, but if you read the book, you'll know that her not having a name, at least one that we know is kind of important. Right. Um, and so a couple of things, this novel could just be like straight, feminist like literary theory come to life or something (laughs) but it also um is written by a russian american author and so there is a lot about in fact the main character moves from russian to america for college and so there's a lot of interesting um information about russian culture and also about being an immigrant to america and what that looks like in that way it reminded me of um oh americana oh yeah um obviously very different cultures but but just this act of, of removing yourself from your home country and coming to a new country and what that looks like. Um, and then the other thing that I really loved is there's almost this magical realism to it that right. is not normally my genre of literature. There's this muse part in the very, there's this muse character in the very first part of the book. And then he kind of moves to the background as she grows older and Gosh, I loved that. Um, so anyway, there's that um, that kind of magical realism part to it, too, that was really beautiful. Um, and I think some other people read it and enjoyed it as well, but this is one that I'm not seeing being talked about. Yeah. So I kind of want to sing its praises because it came out in February, so you might have forgotten about it. And if you haven't read it or if it hasn't been on your radar at all, it's excellent. You should pick it up. And it's beautiful. Like, right. you could buy this beautiful hardback copy. So. It's got this, like, teacup on the front. Yeah. It's all different patterns. It's gorgeous. We sold our entire stock this weekend. Yeah. Aha. Selling books. That's right. Like, it's our job. <laughs> um, the next one is one that you talked about a lot before the mothers came out. Um, Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty. Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty. I think you and I had books that we both read around the same time yes, and started did. raving about. Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty by Ramona Ossipel. I I mentioned this one on my podcast interview with Ann Bogle. Uh-huh. Um, it is a dysfunctional family story. If you liked The Nest, then this one is comparable. Um, this one is a little... I won't, darker isn't the right word, but it's certainly not as light as The Nest is. Uh, the Nest, I feel like, is really funny and, and kind of witty. And this is different. Um, it's about this family who, they're this young, kind of almost, you're al- it's almost like a Gatsby-like situation, this young, kind of beautiful family. And then they find out that their fortune is gone. Mm. And they each member of the family reacts in a completely different way almost bizarre way. So the husband um, kind of goes off and does his thing, which I don't want to tell you until you read it. The mother goes off and does her thing. And then the children are left to their own devices. And so the way um, the author writes about children, I really loved. I feel like children in an adult literature often get kind of tossed to the side or, yeah. or, or belittled in some way. And instead she treats them as real characters, like as, as real people, their own characters. And so I love that. I think the nine-year-old girl, um, 
kind of, I won't say at the heart of the novel, but she's part of the family and she reacts to this differently from her parents. Um, I think her name's Cricket mm-hmm. and I just loved her character and I remember reading it and caring so deeply what happened to this family. Like I genuinely, I would look at Jordan and I'd be like, these parents, these parents have left these children. Like I just was so deeply bothered. So it's one of those books that you're reading and I think the writing is so excellent that you really buy into what she's, what she's giving you, the story that she's selling you. And so I would be up late at night wondering, oh my gosh, what is going to happen to Cricket and her brother? Like these parents, how dare they? Like get, get it together. Like it's just one of those books. I remember, um, last year, one of my favorite books of the year was Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. And, and one of the reasons I loved that book, and I, I had a lot of friends who only, you know, kind of sort of liked it because they didn't love the characters. But I remember caring so deeply what happened to that main character. I think I've told that story on the podcast before that, like, I was reading it while cooking dinner and, like, the boiling pot started to boil over because, <laughs> like, I was just so enmeshed in the story. And that's how um, Sons and Daughters was. Plus, again, another beautiful book cover. Also, yeah. that title is really good. It's really good. And um, this is one that like has not been as popular in the store as we wanted it to be. I know. Either. And I I feel like maybe I didn't do... I mean, I put it on the end cap, but I don't know that I remember to put it in people's hands. Mm. Like, I think um, I forget, oh, if you like dysfunctional family literature like I do, like, read this, read this. Like, I feel like I put it on end caps and I put it on displays, but when somebody said, what should I be reading right now? I feel like... Maybe it'll come into its own when it debuts in paperback. Yeah. Because a lot of people, this book came out in the summer, and a lot of people, when they come in the bookshelf, probably any bookstore or library during the summer, they're looking for a paperback right. that they can like throw in their beach bag. Right. And, you know, so I always direct them to Where'd You Go, Bernadette, or The Rosie Project. Right. And it will be wonderful when this comes out in paperback and I can put this in hands instead. It's not as light and funny as those novels, um, but it does have a summer, it's definitely a summer book. Um, and, Again, if you liked The Nest, or Ann Bogle mentioned The Children, if you right. liked The Children, this is so good. Um, so it's one of those that, for whatever reason, I don't think made it to the top of people's lists, but I wish it would. Good on you, Riverhead. Yeah, Riverhead. Several several of their titles S- made my list Made your top year. ten this year. Um, the next one is one we were just talking about. This is Where You Belong by Melanie Warnick. Yeah, so I try to pick some fiction and, and some nonfiction, like both... Um, both types of books to put on my top 10 at the end of the year. Um, This is Where You Belong is like The Happiness Project um, in that it is kind of a story filled with research, but it's also a memoir about loving where you live. I needed this book. Uh, I frequently need to be reminded I am always... I think I'm always dreaming about the next thing. Mm. And there is a part of me that has a hard time planting my feet where I already am. And I forget that, oh, where I live is pretty lovely. Um, also, when you work retail and when you're in the trenches, sometimes where you live doesn't always look pretty. And and sometimes it's wonderful. I mean, we have the best customers, but when you're just down in the trenches every day and you're cleaning toilets and you're, yep. and you're, um, you're walking to work in a hundred degree weather when it's October, like it just, <laughs> like there's just, uh, you forget, Oh, Thomasville is really this cool place. And what I loved about this book was I read it at the right time that reminded me, these are the things I should be doing in my life to love where 
where I live. So walking more, biking more, taking advantages of your parks, shopping locally. Like she, these are the types of things she addresses. If you don't like the happiness project, this book is not for you. It's, to me, it's very similar in tone um, because it's heavily researched. Um, I found myself underlining a lot. Um, but, but if that's not your genre, then this book is not for you. If you already love where you live, this is still worth reading. But if you are on the fence or if you've got a friend who's moving, stick this book in their hands. Like it'd be a great housewarming gift. Um, it'd be a great gift for a friend who's leaving to start their next chapter. Um, I, I loved this book and I, I think when an author like Gretchen Rubin or, or like Melody Warnick really does their research, um, I benefit from that. Like it makes me not to have to go read the 50 books that they read in right. order to compile this, this really interesting, um, interesting book. So I think she has a, the author has a blog, so you could read some of her blog and see if it's worth, um, if that's kind of your genre or worth your, your time reading. But, um, this is where you belong. I really, really loved. And in fact, stuck it in the hands of a lot of people this yeah. year. Um, so I, g- I gave away like a lot of galleys to, mm-hmm. to, um, to customers and community leaders, it'd be a great, it'd actually be a great one book selection. Um, so anyway, tip for other people planning one book selection, uh, one book festivals for your community, but it'd be a fun book for your whole community to read together. My name is Lucy Barton. Okay. This one, I'm going to say it, this one barely made it to my top 10, but I was looking back over the books that I enjoyed the most. And I think this is the one that I this is one of the quietest books I read this year, yeah. um, but it stuck with me after I finished reading it. It's a mother-daughter story. takes place in a hospital room. I don't think ever leaves that hospital room, if I'm not mistaken. The book is very short. Um, <clears throat> I, unlike a lot of people, did not love um, Elizabeth Strout's Olive Kittredge. Um, I read that with my book club, felt rather ambivalent about it, thought it was really well-written, just mm-hmm. didn't love it. And my name is Lucy Barton, then I actually really loved. Um, short, beautifully done, compelling book about a mother-daughter relationship. And before you know it, it's over. Like, before you know it, you've finished it. It's very short. Yeah, it's super. It's, to me, it's almost like a novella. Yeah. More than a, more than a full-blown novel. But um, came out, again, earlier this year. I think this one did get a lot of praise. And I think maybe has even been on some other best of lists that I've seen. Um, but worth the hype to me. Really, really beautiful, but for sure a quiet book. Mm-hmm. Kind of a flat line. We talked about um, earlier this year, we talked about my brilliant friend being a flat line. My name is Lucy Barton is similar to that. There's not like this huge climactic moment. Um, just really a pretty book about mother-daughter, a mother-daughter relationship that has gone sour. Right. Um, so yeah, I really, I really liked My Name is Lucy Barton, but but it was so quiet, I almost forgot about it until I went back and looked at what I read this year. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Uh, this one you did not forget about, When Breath Becomes Air. Oh my gosh. This is another <laughs> nonfiction. Uh, this is a memoir. It has been on the New York Times bestseller list for... Almost the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, came out in January, February. I immediately read it. Did not realize I knew a little bit about the book before reading it, um, meaning I used to frequently read the blog a cup of joe her sister it was married to paul calanthe ah. so only like midway through did i realize oh i'm familiar with this story um so if you haven't heard about this book basically paul calanthe was a neurosurgeon young um i 
think late 30s and finally was finishing his neurosurgeon training and was then diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so in a matter of months, started writing this book so that he could get some of his thoughts about life and death on paper. Um, what makes a life worth living? Also as a doctor, what does death look like? Um, and what it's like being a patient versus being the doctor. Right. Um, I cannot believe this man was a doctor because his the book is just so well-written. Like it's, Jordan listened to it on audio after like it basically forced him to. <laughs> and Jordan loved it too. And, and it was, he, because Paul Kalanithi, I think was either, either maybe did some liberal arts in undergrad, like under liberal arts training or something. He just is extremely well-read. Yeah. And so he references a lot of the great books. So that Jordan loved that. And then really talked about faith and just the things that we think about when we contemplate mortality. And so, um, anyway, beautiful book. It's heartbreaking because I mean, this is everybody I think knows this, but Paul Kalanithi died before the book was finished. His wife finished it. Mm. Um, there is a, an interview with his wife and Katie Couric that is really phenomenal. I'll try to put a link in the show notes. Um, if you haven't read this book, I know, like, my mom heard me talking about it because I was raving about it to everybody, and she was like, I cannot read that. I know that you think you can't read hard things. You can read hard things. This might not be the time of year to read this book. (laughs) It might not be the time in your life to read it um, because it is hard to read, but we can handle sad things. And so if you get a chance, um, it's a short book. Um, Once you pick it up, you won't really be able to put it down. I really would encourage you to read it just because he asks questions that I think we all need to ask ourselves yeah. sometimes. Um, really great. So yeah, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Excellent, excellent book. This one's making a lot of top 10 lists, Commonwealth. Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. This is another dysfunctional family story, but I, what I love about this one is that it kind of um, covers generations. Um, basically, there's this christening um, party at this house and a husband kisses someone who's not his wife and from that moment like that kiss basically changes everything and I love that idea that like one moment changes everything and those two families that were just friends now are kind of blended together and what those the children of those families what their lives look like um I loved this book. I had not read a lot of Ann Patchett before Commonwealth. I've read her nonfiction, not her fiction. So this was my first Ann Patchett fiction to read. And I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I know I have not read State of Wonder and I have not read Bocanto and I'm sorry, but I'm glad I read, I'm glad I read Commonwealth first. Um, if you like Ann Patchett, I think this is more of the same, like not more of the same in I think it's very different from Belcanto and State of Wonder, but the excellent writing that you're used to. And if you haven't read Ann Patchett, I say, as someone who was introduced to her fiction through Commonwealth, that this would be a fun place to start. Um, again, if you like Dysfunctional Family, it does have some really funny parts. Um, this is another novel in which the children were written really well. Um, <clears throat> they could have just been secondary characters, or they could have been just these stereotypical kids, but instead they're their own people. And I love that. And I think that's hard to do. So um, I really enjoyed Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. And it's also got a very pretty cover, Mm -hmm. um, white with these oranges on it. Yeah. Um, I I just like looking at that one. Yeah, it's really pretty. In fact, a lot of these books, 
are beautiful. They they are. I can't wait to take an Instagram picture with these. <laughs> and now to shift tone entirely. Oh boy. Another day in the death of America. Oh, yeah. Great, Amy. Um, <laughs> so you have heard me talk about this one on the podcast before pretty recently. I think I read it in November. Um, Another Day in the Death of America is written by um, journalist Gary Young. He writes for The Guardian, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, he decided he wanted to look at gun violence in America, and so he picked one random day, I think November 22nd or 23rd, um, and he took a look at that day and saw who who died from gun violence on that day, specifically what children died from gun violence that day. And so the kids range in age from like 7 to, I think, 19, um, and each chapter is devoted to them, and to their brief life, but also really about their death and the events that occurred that day and what maybe could have prevented those events from happening. It's a really somber book. It's not fun to read. Um, It reminded me, just because of subject matter and content, um, the book I read a couple years ago that also made my top 10, uh, Ghetto Side by Jill Levi. Um, Because it's written by a journalist, I really appreciate, I often appreciate journalistic writing style, just kind of no, not too flowery, just kind of hear the facts. And, um, but also he really did those young people, he told their stories well. And so whatever your stance on quote unquote gun control, um, I think it's an interesting look at America and about gun violence that occurs. So yeah. So another day in the death of America by Gary Young. And then the last one on your list was you'll grow out of it. Yeah, so this one is funny. So if you are listening to this list and you're thinking, oh, some of these books are too heavy for me or too much brain work for me right now, that's fine. Um, but You'll Grow Out of It is by Jessie Klein. She, I think, is a writer for girls, maybe? Uh, uh, Amy Schumer? Amy Schumer, that's yeah. right. A- Amy Schumer, whatever. Inside, Inside Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. Um, it is hilarious. To me, now, there was I think there was one chapter I did not love. I cannot remember exactly why I did. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> did not love it. But every other chapter in that book had me laughing out loud um, to the point of, like, I would call my girlfriends and be like, you have to get this book. And if you're looking for a book for your girlfriends, You'll Grow Out of It is so funny. Um, There's a chapter on whether women are wolves or... Yes, um, I remember this. Yeah, wolves or there's another one. Poodle? Poodle. Wolves or poodles. I thought that was super funny. Just interesting insight. I think her perspective is what happens when a tomboy grows up kind of thing. She's got a chapter on anthropology, uh, the store, that I thought was so funny. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I just really, I really liked this book. And it was one of the few memoirs I read this year, essay collections, that, like, I thoroughly enjoyed. I feel like I had a lot of, meh, yeah, feelings about some of the memoirs and essay collections that I read this year. But this one was genuinely funny. Um, And if you like... Lena Dunham, Amy Schumer. I didn't even think, except for the one chapter I'm remembering, I didn't even think it was quite as crass as those. So Mindy Kaling is a good comp. Um, I really loved You'll Grow Out of It. That was it. That was it. You read all those books. I read all those books. Um, I would love to know what other people loved most this year um, in terms of literature, in terms of what you're reading. So if you think about it, send us an email, tag us on Instagram maybe with like, 
maybe if you, I feel like a lot of people are already putting out pictures of like yeah. their top 10. If you take a picture of your top 10, tag us or, you know, mention us in your comment because I would love to know what other people thought were the top 10 books of the year. Yeah, we want to know. Um, I really liked The Whale. That's right. <laughs> um, By? Mark Beauregard. Um, it is the story of the very complicated friendship between Nathaniel Hawthorne and Herman Melville. I feel like I'm not usually into that kind of historical fiction. I'm certainly not usually into historical romance, but I really like both of those authors, so I read the novel and I loved it. So obviously Chris and I read books that kind of ran the gamut this year, but we would love to know what you read. Um, as usual, you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website. That's bookshelfthomasville.com, where we also have many of the books mentioned today there for purchase. And as always, you can find us behind the scenes on Twitter and on Instagram at Bookshelf Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.